0: As I said to you earlier, I'm going to continue the tradition today. Every January, I always preach uh, on the first Sunday, I always preach on Kadesh Barnea, which highlights the the tragic consequences of uh, disobeying the Lord. Remember what Oswald Chambers, remember how he said it. He said, we come to that, that hard place, that risky place, that place where there is cost, and we have to decide whether we're going to, Uh, decide for God or against God whether we're really going to believe him and trust him and obey him or whether we're going to shrink back we saw last week that the nation of Israel refused to believe and claim the promise of God and they would not go in to the promised land remember what we said that unrisky disobedience is risky unrisky disobedience is risky it's far more risky than risky obedience All you have to do is read what happened to Israel. They came under the judgment of God because they refused to obey Him. They refused to believe His promise and to act. They were one step away from what God had been promising them for 500 years, one step away from what would fill their heart, one step away from what they'd always dreamt of, but it was the step they wouldn't take. It was a step of, anybody remember? Of faith, and they would not take that step. Instead of claiming and living in the promised land, they died in the wilderness. They died under the judgment of God. And every every January, I want us to stand there with with those Jews, and and I want us to look at what it costs to not believe God and not obey God. That's why I open every New Year at Kadesh Barnea. I want us to stand there with those two million Jews. And I want us to see what it cost them because they refused to believe and trust and obey the Lord. I want us to learn from their mistake. Beloved, the cost of unbelief and disobedience, it's incalculable in both time and eternity. It's incalculable. It's incalculable. So in God's economy, unrisky disobedience is risky. Unrisky disobedience is risky. It's costly. And some of you may be like those Jews uh, standing at Kadesh Barnea. As you look into 2010, maybe you are intimidated by what you see in 2010. Maybe you have a desire to shrink back. Maybe you're a little afraid of what God might call you to do in 2010. But I want to encourage you I want to encourage you, even if it looks risky, to obey the Lord. Remember what we saw last week. Remember what Caleb said. By all means, we should obey the Lord. The Lord will give us the land. The Lord is with us. Remember? And if you're in Christ tonight, the Lord, the Lord is with you. Obedience to God may look risky, it may look costly, it may look hard. Friends, it's always been like that. It's always been like that for Christians to walk with God. It's always been like that. It's always been hard. He's always going to call us to a place that we can't go to in our own strength. He's going to have to show up. He's going to have to show up. He's always going to call us to faith. And to walk with Jesus is always going to require faith. That's what I want to say to you for 2010. Whatever your circumstance, by all means, obey the Lord. By all means, obey the Lord. You remember what else Caleb and Joshua said? I love this. They said that God is bringing us to a good place. And I want to say to you, Christian friend, if you believe God and obey Him, He'll be bringing you to a good place the promise of God. He'll be bringing you to a good place. You remember the second thing they said? They said, God will give us what He's promised. They were saying, God's a promise keeper. God will give you what what He's promised as you obey Him. As you obey Him. And thirdly, they said that thing I really, really, really love. They said, God will turn your fear into your prey. I love that one. I bet some of you have personal testimonies about this. I have a personal testimony about this, where once I was in great fear to do a thing, but God turned it into my prey. I love that. I love that. And the Lord will do that in your life as you believe, trust, and obey Him. I want you to remember what God says about us. He is unambiguous. God says, I love my kids with an everlasting love. He says, nothing in the created order can separate me and my love from my children. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God says, I am your shield around you. God says, I am your rock and your fortress and your refuge and your stronghold. God says in Romans 8, I am for you. Does anybody believe it? God says, I'm for my people. Friends, if you really believe that, (laughs) you can obey Him with glad, reckless joy. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wring your hands. Just do what God tells you to do. If you really believe God is for you, you can obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. This is the heart and soul of biblical Christianity. It's what you believe about God. It's what you believe about God. How you believe Him, trust Him, and obey Him is always a commentary on what you believe about Him. Everybody got that? How you believe Him, trust Him, and obey Him is always a commentary on what you really believe about Him. If you shrink back, you don't believe He's a promise keeper. You don't believe He's a faithful God. You don't believe He'll show up when it gets hard. Caleb says, by all means, we should go in and take the promised land because our God's a faithful God, and our God will, will be with us. Do you believe, friend, that God is willing and able to keep His promises to you in 2010? Do you believe that He's a promise keeper? Obeying God with glad, reckless joy is as is, is easy as exhaling if you really believe that about Him. What you believe about God will be on display in your life in 2010. So I'm asking you tonight, take a mental inventory. What is it that you believe about Him? We're going to see tonight that He's a faithful promise keeper. But what is it that you believe about Him? What you really believe will be on display with your words and your deeds in 2010. So I'm going to keep a tradition today follow up Kadesh Barnea with which is highlights the tragic consequences of shrinking back from following the Lord and I want to look at Gideon because I always want to stand there with Gideon in those 300 men outnumbered 450 to 1 and I want to walk down that hill with those men and I want to watch God rout the army because I want to remember that my God is God he's almighty he does whatever he pleases and I'm his son and if you belong to Christ tonight you're his and you don't have to be afraid in 2010 I don't care what's in front of you you don't have to be afraid because our God is God every January I want us to see that victory and I want us to see that joy that happens when people just obey God with glad, reckless joy. That's what I'm calling you to, friend. Obey Him with glad, reckless joy you can because He's a faithful God. He's a trustworthy God. Now, I'm going to give you some free stuff. This is just free. This is really not part of the sermon, okay? I'm just going to give you some free stuff. I, I, and, and some of you guys that really pay attention, I do this about twice a year. I try to work this into a sermon twice a year. So here we go. First thing I want to say to you about your God as we go into 2010. Remember uh, Genesis 18, 14. The Lord asked this question of Abraham. Is anything too hard for me? You remember that? You remember the context? He'd come uh, in a theophany. He'd appeared to Abraham and he said, I'm gonna, I'll be back in a year. And he said, uh, Abraham, uh, Sarah will be pregnant and we'll have had a son. And Sarah laughed, right? And, and the Lord said, why does Sarah laugh? God says, is anything too hard for me? Friends, I want you to remember there's nothing too hard for the Lord in 2010. Numbers 11:23, 23. Uh, the people were clamoring for meat. You may remember, and the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? You remember, Moses was expressing his concerns that the Lord could provide, ever provide enough meat for this multitude in the middle of a desert. And the Lord said, you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. In Numbers 11.31, the, uh, the wind from the Lord brought the quail from, uh, up, uh, from the sea and surrounded the camp three feet deep. The Lord's word was good. The last thing I want to share with you, Mark 10.27, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, with, but with God all things are possible. Remember the context. Jesus has said it's, it's easier for, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And this was quite a stumbling block for the disciples because they believed that a rich man had the... In the first century, they believed the rich man had the, the favor of God. It would be easy for him or easier for him to please the Lord. And the disciples then said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, All things are possible with God. All things are possible. And this is what I want to say to you at the beginning of this new year I want you to be reminded that in your life, in your life, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. I want you to remember that in your life, the Lord's power is not limited. And I want you to remember in your life, all things are possible with God. Friends, if you really believe that, obeying the Lord with glad, reckless joy, it's like exhaling. It's it's not hard. The problem is many times we simply don't believe. And I'm calling you tonight to believe. To believe the Lord maybe like you've never believed Him before. I want it, as I told you last week, I want it to be your best year with Christ. And the way you can guarantee that it will be your best year with Christ is to obey Him. At every turn, obey Him. And go with Him with glad, reckless joy we saw last week that God always drives his children to faith why does God always drive his children to faith does anybody remember why does God drive his children to faith Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is what impossible to please the Lord so he's always going to be pushing you to faith if you can live your life without God somewhere along the line you've sat down because he's always going to be pushing you to faith where you need him that's what it means to actually walk with the Lord Jesus and today we're going to see God drive a man named Gideon to faith and God is going to show Gideon that God knows what to do with the impossible and but Gideon's going to be at a crossroads and he must decide for God or against God like Oswald Chambers said and that's what I'm going to ask you tonight in 2010 are you going to decide for God or against God. When it gets hard, when it gets risky, when it gets costly, what are you going to do? I'm challenging you tonight to drive a stake in the ground and say 2010 belongs to you, God. Whatever you say, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. So I'm challenging you tonight to drive a stake in the ground. I want you to give this year to Him. It's going to be more about Him than it's ever been before. Amen? It's going to be about Jesus, and I'm going to exalt Him and magnify Him in my life, in my career, in my studies, in my relationships. I'm going to magnify the Lord. Amen? It's going to be more about Him than it's ever been, and that's what I'm challenging you to do tonight. It's going to be more about God than it's ever been before. You heard the text read, uh, Judges chapter 6, we know why... why, uh, uh, Israel has been subjugated by the Midianites they have disobeyed the Lord verse 1 of chapter 6 of Judges and they have done evil in the sight of Lord uh, of the Lord verse 1 and verse 10 of Numbers pardon me Judges chapter 6 this is Israel's predicament they have not obeyed the Lord and then look there in verse 11 where Sam left off the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree as Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. God comes to Gideon. Now this is a theophany. This is, a, this is an appearance of God. When anytime, you know The angel of the Lord is kind of a technical phrase in the Old Testament. Whenever you see that, it's referring to... God incarnate this is pre-incarnate Christ as many theologians will say God has come God has come to Gideon and God calls did you notice here in verse 11 pardon me verse 12 the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him the Lord is with you O valiant warrior God comes to Gideon and he calls him a valiant warrior. Now, from Scripture, the only thing we can legitimately discern about Gideon is he's most likely a farmer because he's threshing the wheat. There's no reference to the fact that Gideon is a warrior. But why does God call him a warrior? Does anybody know? Because God's going to turn him into one. God's going to turn Gideon into a warrior. Listen, friends. If you let God have license in your life, there's no telling what He'll do in your life. Hey, I used to be a mild-mannered accountant doing my debits and credits. And I would still be sitting there doing my debits and credits. But God challenged me to believe Him and obey Him. If you would asked me 15 years ago if I would have been a preacher, I would have laughed in your face. If you would have said you will be in northern Italy preaching the gospel, I would have laughed in your face. Friends, I'm saying give yourself over. Give yourself over to the Lord. You, listen, Twila Paris has that great song. I don't know the name of the song, but I remember the line. You need to learn the dream, the dreams God has dreamt for you. His dreams are bigger. His dreams are better than your own. I promise. His dreams are better. They'll fill your heart to overflowing. God's dreams are better. And God's going to turn this farmer... Into a valiant warrior. And, and, and Gideon doesn't even, he just lets that fly right past him. It's like this valiant warrior thing could upset his very sure, safe, secure, manageable farming career. So he doesn't even really ask God about this valiant warrior thing. But I love what Matthew Henry says here. He said, God begins the process of animating Gideon to undertake something unimaginable. Friends, that's what God is always doing in the Christian life always you're not here to do the mediocre and to do the average you're here to do something that only god can do through his people that's why we're still here on the planet he's left us here to magnify himself through us that's why we're still here he is going to magnify himself through us so god is going to invite getting into the hall of fame of faith Hebrews 11 if you go read Hebrews 11 you'll see Gideon there verse 32 the question is will Gideon accept the more important question tonight is will you accept in 2010 God will invite you into the hall of fame of faith in 2010 I know he will I don't know where your hard spot is I don't know where you struggle but God is going to challenge you to believe him in 2010 let me ask you will you go with him Will you go with him in 2010? Remember what we talked about last week? You remember that Jesus told Peter to get out of the boat. What did Peter do? Listen, some of you are going to have to get out of the boat in 2010. Some of you are going to need to get out of the boat if you're going to go with Jesus in 2010. You're going to need to get out of the box. You know, some of us live in these little bitty boxes that we control and we understand everything. We, We can manage everything because it's so small. Friends, God's calling you out of that box. Christians don't live in a box. We've been set free. And we live in the power. We live in the power of God. And Gideon asked God a question. Look, asked God a question there in verse 13. He says, Lord, why has all this happened to us? Well, God doesn't need to answer Gideon. The prophet has already told us. You may recall down in, uh, what is it, verse A, the prophet had come and, and told Israel why they'd been subjugated to the Midianites. So God doesn't give him a direct answer. They had disobeyed the Lord. Verse 14. You've got to love it. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Gideon was saying in verse 13, Where are your miracles? Why aren't you delivering us? Look at verse 14. God says, Why don't you go do it? I love that. Don't you love that about God? <laughs> hey, man. Don't we all love to complain about the way things are? Don't we always love to, to, to talk about the way things should be? We'll even say, man, we'll pray about it. But then God looks him right in the eye and he says, hey, you go be my miracle, Gideon. You go be my miracle. Some, God's going to say that to some of you in 2010. God's going to say, you be my provision. You be my miracle. I love what, I love what uh, you know, Gideon here, he got, well, let's see, verse... Uh, Verse, uh, he looked at him. He said, 14, go in this your own strength and and deliver Israel. Have I not sent you? Verse 15, he said to him, O Lord, how shall I do it? How shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. What is Gideon doing? He's doing the same thing you do when God calls you to a huge thing. What's that? Looking in the mirror. Friends, when God calls you to do a thing, you're never supposed to look in the mirror. You'll always shrink back. You're supposed to look at God. Amen? You're supposed to be looking at the omnipotent, almighty, majestic, eternal, infinite Jehovah-Jireh who says, I will see to it. That's what Jehovah-Jireh means. I will provide. Friends, Gideon's looking in the mirror. He's just like you and me. We're not supposed to look in the mirror when God calls us. We're not supposed to look in the mirror. We're supposed to be looking at God. Gideon thinks he's a farmer, but God is going to turn him into a, to a warrior. Friends, what I want to challenge you to do in 2010 is I want you to get outside the box and I want you to leave plenty of room for God to enter into your life and to change it and to change you. Some of us live in such, like I said, in such a controlled space. There's no room for God to even get in there and change us and change our lives and use us in a mighty way. I want to challenge you in 2010 to leave plenty of room for the Lord to have His way with you. And look what He says here at the end of verse 14. This is the key thing. This is the key thing. Look what God says. God says, Have I not sent you? Have I not sent you? Gideon's asked God, where are all your miracles? And God says, you go be one. Friends, isn't that awesome? What a great invitation. Have you ever thought that you might be God's provision in somebody's life? You might be God's provision in the church? That you might be the miracle in the church? You might be the miracle in the community? Friends, there are no limitations with God. The only limitations with God are, those are the ones that we set. It's the ones that we sent because we won't get out of that little bitty box. We won't get out of that comfort zone. God says, Gideon, you go be one. And again, Gideon's looking in that uh, proverbial mirror. But God says, Have I not sent you? Verse 16, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian. God turns farmers into into warriors. And He turns housewives and students and business people into radical, extravagant word doers. What did we we learn in in the book of James when we preached through the book of James? If you don't remember anything about the book of James, you have to remember that God causes people to do the Word. And God takes simple, mild-mannered, unassuming Christians and He turns them into word doers. Mighty word doers. Friends, I tell you this all the time. (laughs) You're a vapor. You've got just a few minutes as compared to eternity to actually do what God's called you to do. I know we walk around, we think, oh, I got another, you know, in my case, oh, maybe I've got 30 more years. Maybe some of you young people think, oh, I got 50 or 60 more years. You have no guarantee. Even if you have 50 or 60, you're a vapor. You don't have time to to disobey the Lord. Obey Him in 2010. Drive a stake in the ground. This year belongs to Christ. Like like no other year before. This year belongs to Jesus. And I'm going to obey Him with glad, reckless joy. And when December 31, 2010 rolls around, which will be in the blink of an eye, I want you and I to be able to confess that we have fought the good fight that we have finished the course and we have kept the faith. I pray that we will be able to say that. So, you guys know the story. Gideon, um, he shows the weakness of his faith, and he asks, he asks for uh, three signs, and he receives them. God is gracious to give Gideon three signs. Now, why is it necessary for God to give Gideon signs? I bet some of you already know. Gideon doesn't have a Bible in his hand. He's not like you. He's not blessed in that way like you. He doesn't have the Bible in his hand. He probably doesn't even have ready access to any of the Old Testament. And his faith is weak, yes. His faith is weak, but he's not like you. He can't sit at home in his easy chair and read God's Word. You can What I want to say about signs, it's not normative for the New Testament Christian to be asking God for signs and receiving signs. Jesus condemned the people in Luke chapter 11 for always asking for a sign. Does does faith come by signs? What does the Bible say? How does faith come? By hearing the Word of God. Gideon did not have the Word of God. In his lap, like you and I do. Friends, we ought to be, man, we should make Gideon look like an amateur. We should be valiant warriors. We are in a spiritual fight. Do do you all know that? Do you all know we're in a spiritual war? Does everybody in here realize that we're in a spiritual war? That that's what it's about? And we're called to be soldiers? Does everybody know that? We're called to do battle. Romans 10, 17, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Friends, here are your signs. Here are your signs. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. It's not normative for the New Testament Christian to be asking God for signs. We have the completed canon. We have the Word of God. Back to Gideon. Gideon sends out the Word and 32,000 guys show up. 32,000 guys show up. Uh, chapter 7, verse 2. We see that uh, if you look over, I think, chapter 8, you'll see that the Midianites and Amalekites, there's at least 135,000 of them. So it's uh, 4 to 1, 32,000 to 135. But God says what? You have too many guys. Why do they have too many guys? Chapter 7, verse 2. Why do they have too many guys? What does God say? Because you're liable to what? Boast. Isn't that just like us? god says god says it's almost it's almost believable it's almost possible you got too many guys so he says in chapter 7 verse 3 let all those who are afraid go home 22,000 guys bail immediately 22,000 guys bail so they're down to um, 10,000 guys that's still 13 to 1 god says you still got too many guys i know how you people are Uh, You you have to know that it's by My power, not by your own. So God weeds them down to 300 guys. Now it's 300 guys to 135,000. That's 450 to 1. It's impossible enough now. God says, "I I will deliver you with 300 men. It's impossible enough. And God is driving Gideon to faith. God's saying to Gideon, and He's saying to you and I tonight is anything too hard for me? He's saying, is the Lord's power limited? And He's saying, all things are possible with me. If you believe that, living our New Year's resolution, obeying God with glad, reckless joy, it will be like exhaling this year. If you really believe your God is awesome and He's reliable. So I'm challenging you, in 2010, to live like that. What does God say in both the Old Testament and New Testament multiple times? How does, what does God say about how His children live? Anybody remember? My children what? Live by what? Faith. It's always by faith. It's never not by faith. It's not by sight. It's by faith. It's never by sight for God's people. It's always by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith God says remember what we learned in James God says you have faith how do we know someone has faith what does James tell us James chapter 2 by your deeds God says you have faith where are your works faith without works he says what did God say it's worthless it's worthless it's what God says those are not my words. Those are the words of God. He says it's worthless. I'm challenging you. Friends, 2010, be a doer. Be a warrior. Some of us may not be around at the end of 2010. I'm giving you the best challenge you, you've ever received. Any man's ever given you, from the lips of a man, I'm giving you the best challenge you've ever received. Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy in 2010 like you never have before. And I'm giving you a gift. I am giving you a gift by challenging you to really live that way for the Lord, and I promise if you do, and when you see me in heaven, if you remember tonight, you probably won't. You know, if if tonight, if God is speaking you tonight, tonight you'll remember. You say, Jim, thank you for that challenge, man. I took it up a notch with God. I promise you it'll be awesome. You take it up a notch with Jesus, I promise you it will be awesome. It will take your breath away. It will take your breath away. You take it up a notch with the lord so what are the realities here these guys look i won't read it i know i'm i know i'm pretty jazzed up and i'm probably going too long so i'm going to try to you know wind it down a little bit but if you look here in chapter 7 verse 16 to 18 they got 300 guys they got some trumpets they got some pitchers they've got some torches and they've got a team cheer for the lord and for gideon that's all they got now that this army it's 135 well-armed soldiers i mean they have like real weapons and we got 300 guys with torches and pitchers and trumpets. Would you go down? Would you go down to the enemy camp? I mean, this is really not a plan that engenders a lot of confidence, right? That's all they've got. They've got a torch in their left hand with a pitcher. They've got a trumpet in their right hand. And they've got a team cheer. What else do they have? It's an awesome plan because God is with them. God is with them. Friends, God brings us to a place, Oswald Chambers calls it, that crossroads, and we discover who we really are in those moments. We discover if we're really men and women of faith or not, or if it's just been all talk and all show. Oh, it's easy for us to sit in here and nod and... And affirm what's being said that is never the test the test is what you do out there and I'm challenging you in 2010 (laughs) I'm challenging you to do it huge out there to magnify Jesus Christ friends you have to decide for God or against him there's never any middle ground we talk about it all the time there's never any middle ground with God there's never any middle ground you're either gonna go down to the camp against the enemy soldiers or you're gonna run there's no middle ground And these guys go down. These 300 men go down. And (coughs) chapter 7, verse 22, chapter 8, verse 12, God routed the enemy. God routed the enemy. And what I want you to to try to put yourself in these men's sandals, and I want you to feel their exhilaration. Do you feel it? I want you to feel the joy of marching down to that camp and watching... God route an army that they were outnumbered by 450 to 1. I want you, to, I want you to, to try to think how that would feel. Friends, when you obey God in the hard place, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. God is faithful. God says, my righteous ones shall live by faith. God says, my kids live by faith like I'm really God. Let me ask you, friend, can, can those around you see that God is real because of the way you live your life? God says, my kids live in such a way that those around them know I am real, I am alive, I am omnipotent, I am reliable, I am faithful. Friends, is your life magnifying God in that way? God says, my righteous ones shall live by faith. My kids live like I really am a promise keeper. And I just want to interject one caveat here so there's no misunderstanding. I am not a name it and claim it preacher. Those of you who've been around long enough, you know that that, in my view, is heresy. It's uh, false teaching. It's uh, an abomination to God. I'm not a name it and claim it. I'm not preaching name it and claim it. I'm preaching your God is faithful and obey Him. And what does Hebrews 11 say? That by faith some were delivered from the sword, and by faith some what? Anybody remember? Died by the sword. It doesn't matter if we're Daniel or if we're Stephen, if we're delivered or if we're martyred. It's all for God. Remember what we talked about in John chapter 11. It's not all about us, is it? It's about Christ. And it's about how Christ wants to magnify Himself in my life. life. Does that mean He may supernaturally deliver me? It may mean that. It may mean that I'm martyred. It doesn't matter if we're Stephen or if we're Daniel. That doesn't matter. God gets the glory. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Obedience. Obey the Lord. God will be with you. God will be with you. So I'm calling you in 2010 to live your faith in an extravagant way, in a radical way, to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Let's pray. Oh Father, I pray we hear You. And I pray we believe You. Father, I pray that there be many tonight in this room who have decided to drive a stake in the ground. 2010 belongs to You. It belongs to You like no other year in my life. It belongs to You. Sin strongholds will be broken. And I will believe. And I will trust. And I will obey You like You're really God. We're not going to pretend anymore. No more lukewarm Christianity. In 2010, we will go with You. We will get out of the boat and we will walk on water with our awesome and faithful God. Oh, Lord, we want to be men and women like that. Teach us how, Father. Give us faith. Give us an appetite for it. Give us an appetite for Your Word so we'll, we'll remain strong. It'll be our bread and our meat and our drink. Our signs are plentiful. Our promises are plentiful. They're in the Word. Lord, help us to be mighty in the Word. Help us to be Word-doers. For we know that pleases You. We know what pleases You. You tell us that Your kids live by faith. Oh God, that's our cry tonight. Help us to live by faith. Teach us to live by faith. I mean really. For these few moments that we have on the earth, may we learn to obey you with glad, reckless joy. We pray this in the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We're going to celebrate the table tonight. And uh, I think all you guys know we, uh, we have open communion here, all who have uh, professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have followed him in believers baptism are welcome to partake of the bread and the cup you know how we do it prepare your hearts why Tyler and Jessica play um, get your heart in the right place don't come to the table in an unworthy manner I warn you of this because Paul warns the Corinthians don't come to the table Unless you come in a worthy manner, repent of your sin in good conscience, laying it aside. Coming to remember and rejoicing in what Jesus has done for you personally. He's on the cross for you personally. Let's remember it and celebrate it. It's holy, it's awesome, it's breathtaking. Let this not be a ritual for you. Remember how much He's loved you, remember what He's done for you. God, help us, it's not a ritual to us. God, help us, we remember what an awesome Savior we have. So prepare your hearts, and as they play, come up and take the cup and the bread, go back to your seat, and when they finish playing, I will read a text, and then we will partake of the elements, okay?